gold, silver, metals, or iron, we saw nothing of that description. But the country is delightful and all things will flourish here. The greatest gain one can achieve is, in my view, the salvation of the natives. That must be the vital seed your highness should sow here, the dissemination of the faith. Thus the report made by the first Portuguese expedition in 1500 to what later became Brazil. At that date, they sought bases, not conquest, and peaceful conversion, not enslavement. When Tomé Gessosa approached the coast of Salvador some 50 years later, this was the site he chose for the future capital of the Portuguese colony. The Lord Treasurer had told him that Brazil represented the economic future, and its plantations would yield high profits. So Souza, the first governor general, located a protected harbor with high ground at its back. Forts could defend the seaward side from rivals, he would have thought. And if the Dutch, English or French took them, the upper city would be as good as impregnable. But it was quite a steep climb from the harbor for the Portuguese rulers of the city too. What they wouldn't have given for a lift like the Elevador Lacerda but that was only built in 1930. The Crown was chiefly interested in the port and the trading facility and left the upper city to the church. The Jesuits and numerous other orders built churches and set about saving the souls of the indigenous people while their bodies toiled in the plantations. Over the centuries, on a continent far from Rome or Lisbon, ecclesiastical architecture developed a distinctive colonial style. South American Jesuit Baroque is seen magnificently in the principal church of the order. Later it was declared a cathedral, the seat of a bishopric after the expulsion of the Jesuits from Brazil. Their offense had been to question the system of estate ownership and slavery. But without them, education in Salvador collapsed. The other orders were slow to fill the gap. Pastoral care took the place of education. There were churches, not schools. If contemporary accounts can be believed, the people of Salvador loved to admire the gold in the Franciscan church and the wealth of the new homeland, even though they lived in poverty. Of course, the orders were not wealthy from the outset. Their first buildings were not built to last. Yet within a century, the Portuguese in the mother country were envying the colony for its builders, stonemasons, woodcarvers, and goldsmiths. Since most of the craftsmen were in religious orders, their superiors could summon them back to Portugal. After all, it would hardly do if the churches of Brazil were finer than those of the mother country. 
The city's ecclesiastical art brought Salvador renown. The order spared no expense. Azulejo tiles were shipped from Portugal, and even the marble for the Carmelite church came from Europe. It cost a king's ransom, and there were those who wondered where the money came from. One persistent rumor said the money came from smuggling gold, which was found at last in the late 17th century and made Portugal a wealthy nation. Salvador had its share of tax evaders, the clergy among them. A secret tunnel led from the Carmelite monastery to the harbor, and gold was trafficked hidden in statues of saints. Other monks, less greedy for money, cultivated other sins. A door led into the lay order's building adjoining, where the men and women lived together. There they could indulge in wine and card playing. The tunnel has now been filled in, despite its potential as a tourist attraction. The monastery cannot afford the cost of maintaining its old catacombs. Salvador became a city that was Catholic to the core, but in the countryside, the Portuguese failed to make converts. The indigenous peoples had no interest in the new order, not least because it had destroyed the territory that was theirs. Many rejected the white man's God, and meanwhile the settlers kept coming. Despite church protest, the Bandeiranches hunted the natives. In the end, it was the Jesuits who armed the Indians and organized their resistance. The Jesuits were expelled from Brazil, and the Indians further decimated. Alarmed that they might be wiped from the face of the earth, Father Bartolomé de las Casas in Mexico suggested introducing black slaves from Africa. The Negroes built their own churches. In bygone centuries, it was rumored that they celebrated their own rituals there instead of the Catholic Mass. The old African idols were simply packaged as Christian saints. The packaging remains, but the followers of the old African religion, Candomblé, now have their own places of worship, and whites often attend there nowadays. Life in Salvador de Bahia became charged with the spirit of Candomblé, the religion of the blacks. To this day, an aura of magic in the occult attaches to their rituals. Candomblé gatherings tend to be devoted to worship of one particular deity, and the magic consists in the gods appearing to the faithful, entering the bodies of people who have gone into a trance 
as the drums beat on without cease. They are robed in divine vestments in a room set apart before making their reappearance. The Church of the Black Brotherhood is on the Pelorinho, the square where slaves were once punished in public. Black artists frequently portrayed the scourging of Christ. The sufferings of the Lord no doubt reflected their own. Nowadays, the entire city center is known by the name of Pelorinho. Today, more blacks live in Salvador than in any other South American city. It's probably the city's rich ethnic mix that makes it so irresistible. The old heart of Salvador is unspoiled, with the Mediterranean air and a great number of Baroque churches, and the underlying rhythm of life is African. Nowadays, the attraction of the old churches is largely the melancholy appeal of decay. The great bell of the Igrejo Paso has not summoned the faithful to Mass for many a year, even if penitent sinners can still be seen mounting the steps to the church on their knees. Many of the ways and customs of the slaves have passed into the shared Brazilian culture of today, such as capoeira, a sport that many whites now enjoy as well. This martial art began as covert resistance to the colonial rulers at a time when the slaves were forbidden to practice combat skills that could be used against their masters. So they disguised their martial art in the form of a dance.
people now live in the Igreja Montserrat, which was loved by the faithful ones. It seems the city simply does not need so many churches anymore. And a redundant church makes better accommodation than the favelas, no better than the slaves' huts of old. Fort Montserrat is now a museum of no special interest. It no longer needs to defend the city from enemies. Times are more peaceful now than when Tomé de Souza founded the Cidade de São Salvador, Gibahia de Todos os Santos, in the year of our Lord, 1549, the first capital of Brazil. <laughs>